everyone. Welcome to another episode of the Ambassadors Forum Radio Show here on True Talk 800 AM KPDQ. I'm your host, Roy Swart, father of seven, MIT graduate, active engineer in the high-tech industry, and most importantly, bought and paid for bondservant of the Lord Jesus Christ. Our mission here at the Ambassadors Forum is to equip you to be able to answer life's hard questions the same way Jesus would. Today, we're going to interview another one of the speakers from our annual conference back in October. My guest today is Josh Brom. Josh has worked in the pro-life movement since he was 18. After 12 years of full-time pro-life work, he co-founded Equal Rights Institute with his brother Tim to maximize his impact for the movement. Josh's primary passion is helping pro-life people to be more persuasive when they communicate with pro-choice people. That often means ditching faulty rhetoric and tactics and embracing arguments that hold up under philosophical scrutiny. Josh, welcome to the show. Thank you so much for having me, Roy. It's great to be on with you. Let's start with a definition of terms. To those who have been active in the debate on abortion for many years, the titles of pro-life and Mm pro-choice seem universally understood and accepted. But can you describe those two opposing positions for our audience today without using the terms life or choice? (laughs) Yes. Um, No, it's a great question because I actually think the terms might have to change. There's kind of some interesting (laughs) stuff going on about that right now. So generally speaking, in the last 45 years, I think most people have understood the term pro-life to mean someone who is generally opposed to legal abortion. Hmm. And someone who identifies himself as pro-choice generally means someone who is generally opposed to making abortion illegal. They would be for legal abortion. That doesn't mean every pro-choice person is for all abortions. There's a whole gradient here. Hmm. Um, But that is generally what the terms have meant. And those are sort of the terms that each side, for the most part, wanted to use for themselves. And so like where pro-choice people will sometimes, they would rather call a pro-life person anti-choice. And that feels too negative to me. Whereas (laughs) I also think calling them pro-abortion or or pro-abort or something like that is too negative to them. The interesting thing going on within pro-life inner politics right now is whether or not the term pro-life is still very useful because what has happened lately is the term has, a lot of people have been trying to adopt the term to use it in a much broader sense. So if you are truly pro-life, then regardless of your view on abortion, they would say, you need to definitely be against the death penalty. Ah, You need to be against any kind of animal cruelty. You need to be vegan. Ah, You need to be like, and everyone has their own list (laughs) and the lists are different and they contradict each other, but it becomes this kind of like arrow that you can kind of easily throw people where it's like, well, I'm more pro-life than you because I Mm. check more of these boxes. And so there's kind of some interesting discussion and like, maybe we should just accept calling ourselves anti-abortion because it's very clear. And uh, and I'm, I think I'm about convinced. It's just mm. weird because when people have been using the same labels for so long. But like the main thing that I want to tell people to end a long answer to your question <laughs> is that 
people are always more complicated than the labels that we mm, give them. And so while, yes, in a conversation like this, if we're talking from the 5,000-foot view about the abortion war or whatever, then of course we're going to have to use labels for groups. But generally, like if I'm talking to someone on the other side of the issue, I'm not calling them a label. I'm not mm, asking them, do you consider yourself pro-choice? I'm asking them, what do you think about abortion? Mm. And I'm finding out what that person believes. Mm. And I'm going to ask them a lot of clarification questions to learn about their unique and nuanced view. Mm. And then I'm going to respond to that. I don't care what they call themselves. I want to know what their position is. Mm. That's very good. Thank you, Josh. That is very helpful. When I look around today, the whole world, maybe especially in the United States, seems to be in increasing opposition to God, in open rebellion against his commandments. Mm-hmm. Of all the hot topics in our culture today, what made you decide to devote your whole life and ministry to the pro-life movement? Yeah, so it started really young. Um, I got my calling really young. I was telling people I would be a full-time pro-life speaker when I was 11. Oh, wow. Which, which wow. makes me super weird, okay? <laughs> but what happened, I mean, the short version is I was, I was a homeschool kid. I had really, really great parents and grew up in a conservative Christian home, no complaints. And we went to a very pro-life church. That church was even, or certain members of that church were even part of like the early rescue movement. Like they were very, very against mm. abortion. And at some point, my dad took me when I was 11 with a group of like four or five other guys from the church to go in front of an abortion clinic in downtown Sacramento, California, and just pray. Wow. Now, the thing at is- 11. No, At 11. At <laughs> 11. Wow. Were the protests vicious as they are today? I mean, were you yelled at and screamed at and- no, this one was super calm, okay. and there weren't any counter-protesters. Okay. Um, there were two different factions of pro-life people, which happens a lot in front of abortion clinics. You'll have clinics with like sometimes four or five different groups of pro-lifers that all look and sound very, very different. And a passerby would be like, oh, those are all the same groups. Like, no, there's like four or five different groups with Mm. different strategies and thoughts about how to use graphic pictures or bullhorns or whatever. And so we were part of just a little prayer group. They're very quietly praying in like this little tight circle on the sidewalk. There was a a group of, think, a few pro-lifers on the other side of the street who were holding graphic abortion signs. And that was the thing that just no one had told me what abortion was. Like, we got to here, and we're praying, and I don't understand what we're praying about. I just know we're in front of some weird brick building, and I don't know what's going on. So I was bored, but the signs <laughs> confused me. I wasn't traumatized. I was just like, I don't understand what these pictures are. I wasn't, wow. like, processing them. Wow. And so I asked my parents about the pictures, and they told me what abortion was. And I went through this series of three emotions, where first I felt surprised. Because I had never confronted sin in a real way before. This was like my cultural bubble getting pierced for the first time. So the idea, like, of going to a church where big families were very normal. There's a Protestant church, but it wasn't weird Hmm. for, it's like everyone was like kind of homeschooled. Some people had seven, eight, nine kids, and that that was normal. It was very pro family. So the idea that we would want to have Mm. an abortion was so shocking to me. So that was the first emotion. Then I felt very, very sad. Not Mm. angry, but I felt sad. And then I felt this growing sense, I think like a lot of zealous homeschool kids, I guess I'm gonna have to go stop that when I grow (laughs) up. I'm gonna be William Wilberforce. I see, yeah. And I got really into pro-life apologetics. We found kind of the guy who brought apologetics to the pro-life movement, I think kind of the grandfather of pro-life apologetics. My parents were supportive supporters of him from a very early time. So I knew 
early that? tapes. His, his name is Scott Klusendorf. Okay, yeah, um, I've heard of and him. he was kind of my mentor early mm. on, and I wanted to be him. That's basically what wow. I wanted to be when I grew up, and and I'm still privileged to be kind of part of his life, and we're still friends. We don't always make the same arguments, or the talking points are kind sure. of different sometimes. But I love that man. And he is responsible for, I think, a lot of people who are about my age who are in the pro-life movement now. Wow, that's that's really cool. I, I like how you presented a story where 11-year-old Christian kids weren't tucked away in a closet somewhere and said, hey, when you get older, maybe when you're 16 or 18 or 25, right. then we'll bring you out into the fight. It's like, hey, this is life. and. Yeah. Maybe you weren't the one holding the big graphic <laughs> picture, right. but but you were the one off on the side praying and saying, you know what, I'm going to yeah. be involved in this. And I think sometimes Christian parents struggle with that tension between, I want to protect my kids, right. but this is a real thing. And so how do they get involved? And I, I think that was a beautiful example of how to bring a young person who loves God into the discussion and into yeah. the dialogue. And it yeah, it shaped your life. That's cool. Yeah. I, I don't think they knew how much it would shape my life, but it, it certainly it, it certainly did. And I'm very grateful to them for that. That's very cool. Well, Josh, you operate according to certain principles at the Equal Rights Institute. Principles that are fungible to, I think, all areas of apologetics. And I'd like mm. to kind of go through rapid fire here and discuss each of these topics individually with you and discuss why you think they're so important and maybe how they might be applied beyond just the pro-life discussion to maybe create sort of a handbook of best-known methods uh, for Christian apologetics. The first one is, and I've listened to several of your talks, all of which are amazing. Anybody out there, if you have not heard of Josh Brom, if you have not listened to his talks, Google him, YouTube, uh, equalrightsinstitute.org, Listen to this guy's thinking and presentation on these topics. It is all amazing. Thank you. The first principle is it's not a debate. It's a dialogue. Yeah. So people use the term debate a lot. And when I think of debate, I think of something that I've done a few times where there's like podiums in an audience and you're debating a person. And in those situations, there are winners and losers and mm -hmm. you are trying to win the audience really. You're not really expecting to win over the person that you are debating with. So I've mm. done that four times. And it's not something I'm that excited about doing. What I'm excited mm. about helping people to do is have really good one-on-one -on -one conversations with their friends. And we use the term dialogue or conversation for that because there are no winners and losers there. And the way that I think we should think about it is we're all on the same team. Mm. It's not me versus my pro-choice friend. What it ought to be, ideally, the attitude that we all have is we are both open-minded and we are both in truth-seeking mode. Mm. We want to believe more truth. And so we're going to look at a problem together. We're kind of standing shoulder to shoulder mm. and staring at a problem, whether it's abortion or, or theology or whatever. And hopefully by the end of the process, which could be multiple conversations, we will cumulatively between the two of us have more true beliefs and fewer false ones. Mm. And so that's a kind of a complete mind shift from the way a lot of people kind of go into, especially in the last year, where it's just like, it's me against you. You are the <laughs> enemy. Yeah. You are bad for believing what you believe about politics or whatever. Mm. Uh, you are a bad person and I need to fix you. Like... 
for first of all, pragmatically, that doesn't change anyone's minds. No one changes their mind because <laughs> yeah. someone else thinks that they're an idiot or something like that. But also, we need to recognize, hey, we're wrong about some things too, mm. and maybe they can help us find our blind spots, and we can help them find their blind spots, and we can both kind of come together and find more truth together. So that, that that's dialogue. That's not debate. Mm. That is a great transition into point number two. It was a little bit surprising for me to realize this, you know, watching some of your talks, this thought just kind of settled on me. And it's this. In general, both sides seem to be equally motivated by morality to do the right thing. Yeah. So I think pro-life people think of pro-choice people as like these like really bad people that they hate babies or <laughs> they love their lifestyle too much and they and it's like they don't care, they're selfish, things like that. Mm. And my perspective on pro-choice people really changed once I started talking to the same ones for a long period of time. Mm. So I went through this period in my ministry where I was just doing like campus outreach. We were going to a college campus and try to get into conversations with students. Mm. And so I might have a conversation that lasts like an hour or two, but that was usually it. Like that mm. was the last time I was going to talk to that person. Sure. And then I ended up in a Facebook group, of like a private Facebook group where people were there to debate abortion. And I really got to know some of them. Mm. Like mm. people that I ended up in conversations with for about a year before that wow. group imploded. Wow. And I saw it as like a social experiment at first. Like, ooh, I can try the, I can try the same arguments on like the same people and see what works. And I did learn a lot from yeah. those tests um, because there were some pro-lifers they hated, and then there were some pro-life people they really, really liked. So that was like proof. It's not that they're just like against all pro-lifers. No, it's against pro-life people that come across like jerks. Mm. That's an interesting thing. Yeah. And then after that, God kind of brought a, a pro-choice friend into my life that we became really, really good friends and talked for, you know, we were still friends, but we were talking for years about this. Wow. And I just came to have a different perspective that a lot of pro-choice people, they really believe that they're right. Hmm. They're coming from a different worldview than us. They actually think differently. If you get into like Jonathan Haidt, a lot of times people on the left are psych psychologically wired differently hmm. than people on the right. They are driven by different things. So it just kind of makes sense that we would often end up with different conclusions. Hmm. But if we can hmm. bring these people of goodwill together, we need to hear what they have to say about certain things. They can hmm. help us find our blind spots for sure. conservatives and vice versa, hopefully. And so, yeah, I, I would like to see us stop demonizing pro-choice people, hmm. either to their face or even behind their back, hmm. because it trains our minds to think lesser of them, which is going to come out. Like if you think you're talking to an idiot, they're going to be able to tell. It's going to be on your face. Um, and so we need to stop doing that. We need, and we need to start paying more attention to like thoughtful, good people on the other side and not just, you know, responding to the dumbest memes that they have or whatever. Oh, that's very helpful. Now, with that said, this third point may be a little controversial, but let me go with it anyway. <laughs> Bad arguments for the right cause are worse than no arguments at all. Absolutely. Like, I think unquestionably so. Because when you make a bad argument, then what it tells the pro-choice person, assuming they catch you in it, is like, th they might be giving the pro-life side a chance for the first time, mm. maybe the only time. Let's say the pro-life person gets stumped. This has happened to me, okay? Like, even after starting ERI, I've had occasional dialogues where like, yeah. oh, that's a really interesting point. I've got to think about that a little bit, like yeah. that kind of thing. Yeah. And so 
you should just admit it. Just say, yeah, let me get back to you on that. Let's have another conversation. But if you try to just get through it, ramble your way through like a bad argument just so that you'd feel like you didn't show weakness or something, <laughs> then they're going to see it's weak and they're going to yeah. be like, oh, so then they don't actually have the intellectual high ground. After all, I can be confidently pro-choice and then they move on. I'd much rather pro-life people have the humility to say, oh, that's interesting. I haven't thought about that. Yeah. Let me go check out Equal Rights Institute's resources and I'll get back to you. Like, that kind of thing, you know? <laughs> like there's a safety net here, people. Like it's going to be okay. You don't need to be worried about it because there are people that have heard that argument before and there are resources. You just need to know where to find them. And then you've earned another conversation. That's yeah. going to be the thing that they remember at yeah. the end of the day. More than any good arguments you made, they're going to remember that you have the humility to say, I don't know. Yes. And I think that, as I explained a little before we went on air, I'm kind of new to apologetics and figuring things out. One of the conclusions I've landed on is to borrow from the medical field. You know, doctors, they've got this principle where they say, first, do no harm. And then, you know, try and help the person as much as you can. I wish I could speak to all the Christian apologetics community and say, first, <laughs> make no bad arguments. <laughs> Even if you make no, no good arguments. <laughs> first, yes. make no bad ones. <laughs> That's actually really good. I might have to use that word sometime because I, it's just so frustrating when we see probably people who mean well. They almost all mean well. Yes. And they're, they think they're doing something effective. Even strategies. There are strategies that pro-lifers are doing. It doesn't change pro-choice minds, hardly ever. Yeah. Yeah. But we do it because either we've always done it that way or because it seems like it would be persuasive to us yeah. when psychologically we're very different than the people that we're trying to reach. And so it's just like, man, if we could start with do no harm, I think the pro-life movement would be cumulatively a more effective yes. thing. And I would love <laughs> to see that. Like, I have a lot of hope for the future of the pro-life movement because it's yeah. like, imagine what could happen if, what if pro-life people were using the most persuasive arguments yeah. in response to the toughest, the most interesting pro-choice arguments. Like, frankly, that's not been the case, I think, for the most part. And so that's what gives me hope. Anytime yeah. you see something that could be a lot better, that's why there's hope. Yeah. What if we all got better at having these dialogues, regardless of what happens with the law, regardless of what happens with the Supreme Court? Maybe in the end, all we can do is try to make abortion unthinkable and not illegal. Maybe. Mm. I don't know. I'm not the expert on the legal side. But I do know that we have a lot of work that we could do as pro-lifers at just being less weird and less <laughs> off-putting. Yeah. The kind of person that is easy for people to listen to and to get their walls down so that our arguments really connect with them. Oh, that's, that's great. And that brings me to my final point. There is no device as powerful as having the other person see their own error for themselves. Yeah, I think that's true. It's this interesting thing in conversations where, you know, generally speaking, there's a thing that we teach. In fact, this is one of the practical dialogue tips that I'll be teaching for that 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 Portland Apologetics Conference thing mm -hmm. coming up, is that there are certain kinds of clarification questions that are very helpful to ask, where you're, you're in detective mode. You're trying to find out what they think. But then there's an area where we're kind of different in what we teach than a lot of our colleagues in apologetics, even Christian apologetics, where kind of the normal thing is, look, ask a lot of questions that will help keep you in the driver's seat and lead the conversation the way that you want it to go. And that is mm -hmm. something that we don't encourage people to do because I don't think it's subtle. I think people can tell what you're doing. Sure. And then their walls go up and they get defensive. And we don't want them defensive. We want their walls down. Sure. We want them to feel like I'm, I'm 
I'm just hanging out at a coffee shop with with a friend and it's safe and I can change my mind without getting made fun of and, and all of that. And so this is one area where I would say in my conversations, one of my biggest struggles is when do I ask questions and when do I just kind of put my cards on the table? Because on one hand, I have so many things I want to say, you know, <laughs> I've got so I've got an encyclopedia in my head at this point of like arguments and ideas and talking yeah, points. Yeah. And some of them I haven't even tested yet. And I want to test with them. And then sometimes, though, I need to realize it is generally more persuasive for them to figure this out on their own. And so that balance between clarification questions and then just gently putting an argument on the table face up and just kind of saying, so here's where I'm coming from. Now come back at me. Help me understand what's wrong with that is kind of an ongoing challenge. But absolutely, you want the person to put the puzzle together for themselves and not just have you do it in front of them like this like magic trick. Like, ta-da! <laughs> Look, I've solved the abortion debate right in front of you. Now you are we good? Like, don't do that. Yeah. But if you do pay attention to our dialogue style versus some of our colleagues, you will find us talking maybe a bit more having these moments where it's like, okay, I'm going to try to as transparently and genuinely explain to you exactly where I'm at in about a paragraph, um, or maybe a bit more. Maybe I'm going to make a thought experiment to try to help you see what's going on for me, and then I'm going to pitch it back to you. Hmm. Come back at me. Help me understand what's wrong with that, yeah. because I do think, especially for young people, that is more persuasive to them. They are looking for people to try to lead them certain ways. They are not trusting, even like advertising. Like this has changed the advertising industry because sure. Gen Z is the most skeptical of yep. every generation yep. that's been tested, apparently. And so yeah. I'm applying that to our dialogues and just trying to be like as transparent and authentic as possible. It was actually after listening to one of your talks on YouTube that I, I got this picture of trying to go through a dense jungle with another person. Hmm. And, you know, the idea of, you make the call. Should we go left here and right here? Yes. And then let the person say, whoa, that was interesting. I was completely in control. We followed all of my directions, and we ended up at a dead end. So then they say, wow, I don't feel like I was steered here or forced here. Yeah. Now they're saying... Okay, I hope you know the way out of here because I am very convinced that I don't. And now you can work on it together. So I've never heard that articulation before, but I love that thought picture. <laughs> yeah, and for me, the like I said, being an engineer in the high-tech industry for 25 years, every day I solve 100 problems. Just mm. you know, very structured technical problem-solving. I look at the world as one big problem to solve, which drives my wife crazy. <laughs> like, not everything is a problem to be solved. Right. But, but the listen I, to me. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. A lot of times people say, okay, Roy, you think you can solve every problem, but you know what? Maybe my problem-solving approach works too. And I say, great, yeah. let's try your problem-solving approach. Yeah. And then when they try it and they try it and they try it four or five different ways and they're like, wow, this is actually a really tough problem. I don't know how to solve it. <laughs> Right. Now they're more open to listen and hear your approach rather than if you never gave them a chance. And so yeah. that's, uh, well, hey, we have chewed up a half an hour in the blink of an eye. So, uh, Josh, it has been a pleasure and it's just been a kick to talk with you and to benefit from 
your years and years of thinking this stuff through and being motivated by a heart of compassion, not only for the unborn, but for the people who think differently than you. So thank you for role modeling that in our conversation. Thank you for just giving us a lot of great insights today. And thank you for being on the show. Rory, this is one of the most fun interviews I've done in a while. And so my hat is off to you, given that you are a full-time engineer coming in. This has been a blast. So right back at you, brother. (laughs) All right. Thanks. Now, how about you? Are you struggling to understand what you believe and why you believe it? Are you finding it difficult to articulate your passions and convictions with those who disagree with you and have a healthy and productive conversation? As Josh illustrated today, we are Christ's ambassadors calling out to a confused world. Come back to God. Come back to God. And the Ambassadors Forum is here to help you get started. Go to our website at theambassadorsforum.com. While you're there, you can look at some of the questions that we've already answered. You can ask us your hard question. You can sign up to receive our monthly newsletter. You can browse through some of our other helpful resources. Make sure to follow us on Facebook and sign up to join us for one of our monthly forum events where we have great speakers presenting on relevant topics. In fact, this Friday, January 15th, Josh will be speaking at 7 p.m. Pacific Standard Time on the topic of six dialogue tips when talking with pro-choice people. If you like today's content, be sure to tune in and listen to Josh's full presentation on this topic. There will also be another 45 minutes of open Q&A at the end where you will be able to ask Josh your own questions. You can register for the free event at our website, theambassadorsforum.com. Finally, thank you for joining us on the radio today. You can join us every Saturday at 9.30 a.m. here on True Talk 800 a.m. KPDQ. I pray that God will raise you up in your own faith and send you out to share that faith with others in the grace and truth of the Lord Jesus Christ. Until next time, I'm Roy Swart. May the Lord bless you and keep you. (laughs) 